What is up my friends, and welcome back to the Lazy Life Guide. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your company. Today, I have a very special episode for you. And it's actually brought to you by a fellow viewer of the channel, Marcus D. And he asks, what are some of the significant events or opportunities that law students should look out for to maximize the limited time they have? Well, Marcus, thank you for your question. And I think it's a very good one. The emphasis on the limited time. It is very limited indeed. Now, you might be wondering, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Do law students really have very limited time? I thought you guys only have about 12 hours of lessons per week. Yep, that is true. On average, my lessons are only about 12 hours in one week. So that actually means that I could have a four-day or even three-day work week, which sounds really good at first. But remember that the number of readings that are being prescribed are actually of very high levels of abstraction and of difficulty, so you need to spend a lot of time going through all of these. But on the other hand, this also means that you have a lot of time to shuffle around. If you have a 12-hour work week with 4 days or even 3 days of lessons, this means that you can shift around your studying time. And if you are strategic about it, you can actually find yourself having a lot of free time to seize a lot of the opportunities that can arise in law school. So, the first step is to plan your time wisely. Schedule time for studying, schedule time for revising your work and doing your homework, and make sure that if you have something that is on your mind that you want to attend, then make room for it and shuffle accordingly. So that's step one. Now, given that I've just established that you will have time, then Marcus's questions can be answered, and that is, so, what are the opportunities that you must seize when you're in law school? Before that, a disclaimer. This is entirely my own opinion. You must watch the previous podcast on the four quadrants of law students first. And if you have forgotten it, do watch it again for a refresher. The second disclaimer is this. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the unconventional methods that other law students may not consider. Sure, there can be a lot of conventional methods that other people will be doing. And I assure you, when you enter law school, you will most certainly know about all these methods as well. So this video is going to take a little bit of a different approach, a different spin as to what most people will not consider doing, but what you can do to give yourself the itch over other people. Number one, participate in at least one moot. Now, for all of you who are not sure what a moot is, a moot is a legal debate. It's kind of like law R or LARC, which is the infamously difficult research and writing module that all year one students must take when they enter NUS law. It's known for being extremely stressful, extremely difficult, and being a lot of, oh, I have no idea what am I doing. But this is exactly what legal practice is like, because a moot requires you to do a few things. First, to do legal research. So what this means is going through the various law databases to find out various authorities, various cases, various legislation. Second, it requires you to spot issues. So it requires you to look at the stories that clients are telling you, what people are going to tell you about what has happened to them, and trying to find out what are the issues that are plaguing them. 
legal issues, of course, not just any issues, but issues that are actionable and that can be used to sustain a claim in court to obtain a legal remedy. Third, it requires you to draft documents. So after you have done your research, after you have spotted the issues, you are required to draft documentation, to draft legal documents for the court or to the other client. And fourth, after you have done all of these, you must be able to orally present your points to the judge in court. To recap, there are four things that a moot demands from people who participate in them. First, research. Second, the spotting of issues. Third, the drafting of documents. And fourth, the presentation of these documents in court, orally. I said these things in order because all of these skills actually corresponds to the various levels of hierarchy that lawyers are expected to do when they are in legal practice. When you are a trainee, your primary job will be to do legal research, to help find cases, to help find authorities that support the points that your team is making. If you're a junior lawyer, then your role is a little bit more difficult. Instead of just doing research, you're asked to spot issues as well, to try and find what is actionable in this particular claim and what are the facts that can be used to sustain an assertion for a remedy in court. When you are a little bit more senior, you become a senior lawyer, then your role increases again to doing research, spotting of issues, and to the drafting of documents. And finally, if you are at the highest of all the tiers, then you are asked to present these documents before the judge. And this requires a whole new level of advocacy, a whole new level of suave, if you might call it. So, since a moot covers all of these points, then participating in at least one moot would certainly be very beneficial to you because it shows your employers two things. First, that you have the skills needed to do the job. You are prepared to take on the role of a litigation lawyer. You are able to do research, spot the issues, draft documents, and present in court. That's the first thing. And the second benefit of a moot is that it allows you to show other people that you are able to cope with extracurricular activities. You may remember from my first video that I talked about people who try to strike a balance between grades and extracurricular. Well, this is one way to show that you are able to do that. And the third thing, of course, is it provides you opportunities to practice. As we all know, practice makes perfect, or well, practice makes permanent. But my point is that legal skills do not just develop overnight. They need to be developed over time with practice and, if possible, under supervision of someone who is more experienced than you. And these are all opportunities that can be gained when you are participating in a moot. So, to sum up, I think the very first opportunity that you must seize is to participate in at least one moot throughout your entire four years in law school. Sure, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be time-consuming, but I'm sure that you will be able to find time to participate in at least one moot over your entire four years of law school. So that's the first thing. The second opportunity that I would strongly recommend that all law students seize while they are in law school would be to do at least 100 hours of pro bono activities. Pro bono activities simply means volunteering work. So my recommendation is to do at least 100 hours of volunteering work over the four years that you are in law school. This averages to about 25 hours per year, give or take. Pro bono gets a really bad reputation. The thinking goes that because firms are profit-driven, 
that they would not like it when people do pro bono activities. Every hour that is spent doing pro bono is an hour that is taken away from billable hours, right? Because lawyers charge per hour. So if you spend more time doing pro bono activities, that means that you will have necessarily less time to do other activities. And if you are a law student that has demonstrated propensity to do a lot of volunteer activities, then this is bad because it suggests that when you go into practice, you will spend a lot of your time doing volunteering work and less time on billable hours that are actually profitable for the firm. That is not true. First and foremost, the number of firms that adopt this traditional mindset is slowly but surely decreasing. In today's times, which is 2020 and beyond, firms are looking more towards corporate social responsibility, which means giving back to the community, doing charity work, and engaging in various other volunteering activities. So the traditional model that law firms are about profit, 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 well, that model is increasingly obsolete. In fact, law firms that adopt this position are increasingly under fire and scrutiny for being selfish or even cold and unfeeling. So times have changed and we need to move together with that change or risk being left behind. Now that I've established that firms are increasingly viewing pro bono in the good light, what are the benefits of pro bono intrinsically in and of itself? Well, there are several. The first one is that it gets to build your CV. When you do pro bono, you're not just doing volunteering work. You are doing pro bono, legal volunteering work. This can range from anything like taking attendance notes or helping to draft documents for the assisting lawyer or even helping to interview the client. All of these involves legal skills and it's an opportunity for you to practice and learn these skills. Of course, I'm not saying that you should do pro bono activities for the sake of practicing these skills only. Indeed, the primary objective and focus of doing volunteering work should remain on helping the underprivileged in society and helping to ensure that these people are adequately represented. But I think one cannot deny the fact that serving others also leads to benefits to the self. And if serving others can lead to a benefit to the self, then I think it is a win-win for both parties, both yourself and for those people that you are serving. And it is for this reason that I did some 200 hours of pro bono, because I believe that these experiences actually helped me to appreciate another side of the legal practice, another side of society, and also maybe even have the opportunity to meet some new lawyers and friends. Uh, a quick anecdote, I know someone in my batch who actually managed to get a job that way. Uh, what happened was that uh, he was volunteering at this place and there was this client that was particularly demanding on them. Uh, so he actually had to step up and politely tell the person that what he was requesting for was something that could not be done. And the lawyer was so impressed by his handling of the situation that uh, the lawyer actually put in a good word for him to come and intern in the lawyer's company. And one thing led to the next and he was offered an internship at the company. <laughs> this was something that he got not by his grades, but by his performance at the pro bono activity. So, long story short, I suggest doing at least 100 hours of pro bono 
during your four years in school. It's going to be difficult, but I think the rewards are going to be worth it. Finally, my last piece of advice to you would be to attend one CCA. Okay, I know. People are going to give me a lot of flack for recommending this. And the reasoning goes that most HR personnel would look at your extracurricular activities last. But my counter-argument is that, well, that means that they should look at it, right? <laughs> and because HR is still going to look at your CCA records, even though they are the last thing that they're going to look at, it means that it is still important, nonetheless. There are three reasons why I make this proposal. But the first is perhaps the more important one. Uh, a CCA helps to showcase your personality. Now, this is because the HR personnel that's doing the hiring, whether is it the partner that's doing the hiring or even a dedicated HR department, there is a person that is actually reading through your resume. There is a person who is actually looking through your application form. Not a computer, a person that's looking through it. And if a person is looking through it, then you need to appeal to the human side of HR. So a CCA not only showcases your personality, it also allows you to demonstrate that you do have a life outside of law school. And ultimately, if HR wants to make the decision to hire you, then HR must get to know you better. Will you be a good fit for this company? Will you be a good fit for the team? Are you going to be a good fit with the people that are inside this team? So you can use your CCA to demonstrate that fit. The second advantage of CCA is that it allows you to make friends. As you know, the legal industry is a relatively small circle and you're going to bump into people in the law industry one way or another, whether it is in court or whether it's uh, interacting with a lawyer from another company. Either way, one of these days, your path is going to cross with another fellow law student. And if you can make friends with these law students of yours in your batch, or even better still, batches above or below you, then it allows you to expand your network and allows you to interact on a more casual and informal level with these people. And if you can interact in a casual and informal manner with these people, then it may be a little bit easier for you to do work with them in future. I say this based on anecdotal experience, because the law industry can be a little bit antagonizing sometimes, especially when we are near trial. If you had interacted with the other person in a more casual setting, it can allow you to appear a bit more humane, a bit more down-to-earth, and the other side may be a little bit more willing to work with you. It may be a bit more difficult to establish that kind of trust and that kind of interaction when you are in the heat of litigation, where people are really trying their very best to win and pulling out all the stops and all the arguments. Sometimes all it can take for the other person to calm down is to reminisce through the good times that you guys had in CCA in a bit more casual and relaxed setting. And the last reason why I would recommend a CCA is that it allows you to demonstrate your portfolio. Some CCAs allow you to publish items for example, uh, SLR, the Singapore Law Review, actually allows you to publish articles online. And this could actually serve as a good stepping stone for you into the legal industry. Because if your article is of a good quality, then it can be a really impressive factor. Because you can show interviewers that 
look at my work. I am good at legal writing, not just now, but I have been good at legal writing and legal skills ever since year one, year two, year three. So it shows a track record of consistency, a track record of excellence. And I think it can really add value to your application. Also, if you are not able to enter a CCA that allows you to have this portfolio of publishing, that's okay. If you can take up a leadership position if possible, that could also serve well for your case. So as you know, law is taken as a granted. When you enter the law firm, you must know the law. That is a given. If you don't know the law, well, <laughs> then uh, it's going to be very, very hard for you to convince a firm to hire you. So I think with a law degree, everyone should know the law. That is the basic stepping stone. But other than that, what else can you bring to the team? You see? So if you can have a CCA to show this level of maybe say leadership of project management skills, it allows you to move upwards in the career ladder a little bit faster because the higher level lawyers don't just need to do the law. They also need to manage the team, manage client expectations. And if you have experience in that field in your CCA, then I think it could really add value to your case. It doesn't also have to be a leadership position. You can also just be an active member. Just being active in a CCA can also lend value to your case. Next time we interact with other people, you know, you can also use these skills. Because trust me, after a while, the law is something that you should know. You should already know the law. But it is anything else that can give you a little bit of an itch over your counterparts in this really, really difficult time and really difficult industry. And you're going to need all the help and all the advantages you can get. In this vein, uh, maybe let me just add one quick point before I wrap up. I think it's also feasible for you to consider a CCA in the main campus. Uh, when I mean the main campus activity, I mean that the CCA will allow you to interact with members from other faculties because increasingly law has become a field that is very interdisciplinary in nature. You do not just need to know the law, you need to know other things as well. For example, if there is an injuries case, you need to work with people from medicine, for example. If you are working uh, in a case that involves some kind of supply, then you need to work with people from logistics or business. So go out there and go and make some friends in the CCAs. Who knows? It may help you in future. And those are my thoughts. Thank you for listening and joining me to the very end of this podcast. I do appreciate you taking the time of your busy schedule to listen in and tune in. And I hope you really found this useful. I want to see you succeed and I want to see all of you rising up to your fullest potential. So don't shortchange yourself. Seize the day, seize the opportunities that are given to you in law school. And I wish you the very best of luck.